0: listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and the Driven websites, and is brought to you by SolarEdge. SolarEdge lets you drive your electric vehicle on solar power with the world's first two-in-one EV charging solar inverter. Run your EV on sunshine with SolarEdge.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Charles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven and also founder and editor of Renew Economy. Well, as we wait for various state and federal governments to get together an electric vehicle policy or strategy to the, for the future, there's plenty of experts and academics putting their minds together and thinking about how they see the future of electric transport and The University of New South Wales recently um, held a conference via its Digital Grid Futures Institute, and it was looking specifically at how to make solar-powered transport a reality. So already leaping beyond just plain electric, this is solar power electric. The driven Sprightly Schmidt chaired one of the conference discussions with a group of leading photovoltaic and energy researchers. They included Professor Martin Green, the director of the Australian Centre for Advanced Photovoltaics; Ned Ekendauks from the Digital Grid Futures Institute; Tahar Rashidi, deputy director of the Research Centre for Integrated Transport Innovation. Dr. K. Meng from the School of Electrical Engineering and Telecommunications and Dr. Bonner Newman from the TNO Energy Transition in the Netherlands. One of the issues they talked about was solar paint. Yes, just the idea that you could sort of put on a coat of paint or maybe several coats of paint on a building and in this case cars or other sorts of vehicles and actually use that to generate power. Bridie started the discussion with Professor Martin Green, who's been dubbed the father of photovoltaics, of course. And she asked him about the challenges and the upper limits of the efficiency that can be achieved with solar paint.
2: Yeah, I guess my interest in solar paint um, um, grew from Bill Gates's interest in it. So you might remember back at the Paris climate talks, uh, Bill Gates helped form a billionaires club that were going to fund different initiatives in clean energy. but, I, but Bill has a special interest in solar paint. Um, you know, And the idea is uh, you know, very attractive. You just splash paint over everything, and it generates energy. But um, when you think about it technically, it gets a bit more complicated. So if you painted the screen behind me here, which I estimate is about five square meters, you'd generate 2,000 amps current from a solar cell if it was illuminated by sunshine. So I don't know how much everyone knows about current, but. Uh, Handle 2000 amp current I imagine you'd need a conductor copper conductor you know this type of diameter so you obviously you know a simple application of paint to structures is not going to work because there's of the mismatch in the uh, generation characteristics of the cells and what you really need so you've got to pattern the cells in some way if you do a conventional approach so you've got to have painting in different layers. And it, it starts getting very complicated. So started thinking about ways you might be able to get around that and uh, came up with this idea of scavenging power from small areas. So um, you stick with the low voltage that you get from a single cell. But you have um, a cheap microelectronic up converter that collects power from a small region that's painted and uh, boosts that up to a voltage that um, uh, can be transmitted um, with much smaller conductors than what I indicated before. Um, so uh, just thinking about how you might that apply that to a car, you know, the painting of a car is quite a sophisticated process. I've studied images of cars going into big tanks full of paint and all this kind of thing. And there's many layers that go into um, prov- providing the weatherproof coatings that you uh, get on modern cars. So you know, it wouldn't be all that much of a stretch to imagining a sophisticated process for applying different layers of paint to a car that were photovoltaically active. So that led to this concept of a um, of a solar paint car, whereby the whole car is essentially one big solar cell, but the um, boosting of the voltage is done electronically by, you know, perhaps a hundred uh, small microelectronic chips that are very efficient. So they, they don't have to dissipate much power. They're mounted to the car body, so they've got a very good heat sink for dissipating it. And then, um, and then you uh, collect, um, uh, you, know, you, you send the voltage to a battery and so on as in a normal car. But the only trouble with the concept, um, it's many re- years away from implementation. So um, first of all, we need a really good cell technology. So perhaps something like um, SIGs, copper, indium, gallium, diselenide would be the most attractive technology to use in that application at the moment. But you know, there's limits on um, indium availability, and selenium is not the best element in the world to be dispersing in huge quantities. So you know, we're trying to develop for other projects uh, cells that are environmentally benign and would be suitable for this application. But so far, uh, we haven't got anything that I can really talk about. But I imagine, you know, in the fullness of time, it'll be possible to fabricate um, solar cells like this. The the other component of the idea of you you can stack cells on top of each other within this painted layer, you can boost the voltage up just, um, you know, from half a volt that you typically get from a a cell to, you know, maybe two volts, which makes it easier to um, boost the voltage to a high level. So imagining a a stack of perhaps four cells uh, within the paintwork so you know, you imagine you get something like 20% efficiency. I measured the um, painted area of my Prius, and I got almost exactly 10 square meters. So rather than just having a couple of square meters on the roof and bonnet, you, um, you know, you've got a much larger area, although not all of it's as optimally orientated as the roof or bonnet. The other thing is that having the whole car a single cell is you don't have to worry about um, shading effects and that kind of things. And the other thing I think very practical if someone comes along and keys your car you just lose a little area around the keyed area because of this scavenging approach to the power collection. So there's a a lot of practical aspects to it as well so I I can see you know maybe 20 years down the track we'll have cars painted with solar paint and uh, plenty of electrical energy being generated.
0: And I see you nodding there Ned, you, you've, um, I, I know you've got a goal to increase PV efficiency to some, somewhere between 80 and 90 percent, is that something that's coming along um, and can be you think um, used on the solar PV cars?
3: So yes, I mean the ultimate efficiency limit that we, you know that thermodynamics tells us for solar cell efficiency is 87 percent. So we're never going to be able to get higher than that. Right. I mean, right now, you know, affordable photovoltaics is 20%. So I suppose you know that's that's one of our motivations in that there's a lot we can do with efficiency. Mm. But in order, to, as you saw on that chart, we can push up to high efficiency. High efficiency today, meaning sort of well, the world record is 47%, set by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in the United States. But you know, as you saw, that involves multiplying the cost by a factor of 100. I think one of the interesting things that photovoltaics on vehicles does is it provides a market for those very expensive solar cells to you know, expand. Because as we've seen with silicon manufacturing, mm. if the market expands, then costs come down because of you know mass manufacturing. So part of the reason why those cells are so expensive is simply because they've been used in environments where cost is not an issue. So for spacecraft, performance and reliability are the two key things. Mm-hmm. So I you know today uh, I have to admit that the that Toyota vehicle which has a 34% efficient mm-hmm. roof is significantly more expensive than the vehicle itself. But you know bring the cost down by a factor of 10, 20 and then we're into a space where that sort of technology becomes affordable.
0: And, and so like you just said then um, you know as we increase demand of this this technology and the prices of it come down will we start moving into um, sort of the figures that Taha was talking about where people are willing to pay a couple of thousand dollars more but not not too much
3: I think that's where there's a really nice opportunity and maybe I should hand over to Bono because Mm -hmm. you know Bono's work is using conventional crystalline silicon which is really an affordable photovoltaic technology I you know, I suppose I'm, I'm trying to sort of push the boundaries, if you allow me a cliche, kick the tires a bit, you know, uh, and sort of challenge us and say, what can we do with this right now, very expensive technology? But which, you know, if if you look at the numbers, it is possible to get the cost out of it. But in order to get the cost out of it, we do need a larger market. And there's obviously a lot of work and effort and industrial scale in order to do that. But Bonner, would you like to talk a little bit about you know, the silicon costs of silicon photovoltaics,
0: and, and so these vehicles, the Lightyear one and and the the Scion or the Scion is it by Scion, by Sonna. Yeah, Sona? yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they're actually vehicles that are coming to market soon. Um, how how far along are they, and what are the challenges there? Well, so I
4: uh, don't quote me on it because I'm not actually with either company. Uh, we're doing research to how to um, in parallel to Lightyear, um, but. They're both targeting uh, release of vehicles in uh, late this year or early next year. Um, In fact, and and they've clearly demonstrated that there is at least a very early market for this technology. Um, The Scion in particular I think is quite interesting because they needed to raise funds um, and in order to continue surviving and so at the beginning of December of 2019, they announced a crowdfunding campaign where they said they needed to raise €50 million in 50 days in order to stay alive. And through crowdfunding, they were able to raise just under €54 million in those 50 days. So when people ask, is there a market, Um, I think Taha's numbers do help uh, make this clearer, but then also that's a very good representation of the fact that there are people out there that are willing to invest in this and are quite... Um, it, are very interested in getting this sort of vehicle um, soon. So um, in terms of the cost, what Ned was asking about, um, with crystalline, crystalline silicon these days um, and conventional technology, uh, we think in volume production that with the technology that we've been working on in-house at least, that you should be able to have a f- approximately um, 1,000 to 1,200 watts on a car that's um, really just on the sun-facing areas, so we aren't focusing at this moment really on the sides because there's very, from our numbers, there's very little utility in that. But it does give you a little bonus. Um, but we should be able to get a, a, about a thousand to 1,200 watts on a car um, at approximately uh, somewhere between one to two dollars per watt peak. It, it, with uh, we, we'll say large-scale manufacturing, but for the PV world, this is a very very small number of. Of manufacturing units, but I think on the order of uh, you know 100,000 to 200,000 cars a year. So, and that's what we can do now. Hopefully, there are economies of scale that will um, improve that. Um, I just expect, given the way that our technology tends to develop, that of course people can make improvements on that in the future, and paint would be a great way to go um, to bring down some of those
0: manufacturing costs. And, and so th- what, what you're talking about with Lightyear and ten, what so 1,000 to 1,200 watts, is that is that the figures that we're seeing on Sunswift and the cars in this World Solar Challenge? Because the Cruiser class, as I understand it, is to um, help develop practical cars. Um, you know, in the research that's been done by the students. Can you speak to that Richard?
5: Uh, yeah, don't quote me on the exact numbers but, <laughs> but for sure uh, the numbers are going to be very similar on, on the, uh, the Sunswift car. Um, as Ned pointed out, it's amazing what a group of undergraduate students can do uh, and with a, a little bit of research to help them out and achieve what they achieve. The car outside has a, a range of about 1,200 kilometres. Um, but obviously, that's a that's a that's a prototype vehicle. It's 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 high performance. It's very lightweight composite construction. Um, costs us about half a million dollars to develop. So, so you know, there you go. It it, it shows, and it's a very uncomfortable ride. Um, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Not that I've been in it. You wouldn't get me in it. Um, but it, it is, you know. So, but but incredible. And if we. You know, going back to my JFK moon shot analogy, uh, if, we, if we focus on that um, technology and point it towards the moon or point it towards a vehicle that's capable of achieving what we want to achieve, you know, maybe even, even Martin's paint instead of 20 years may come down to 10 years or maybe 9. I've kind of promised my 12-year-old daughter she's going to be driving one of my cars in in five yeah. years' time, so, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll take you out for lunch and we'll negotiate.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Kay Meng, you were talking about the grid, and, um, you know, as we know, we're getting a higher mix of renewables um, and the challenges that are associated with that. Um, can EVs, in essence, provide a distributed big battery resource that can help support the grid? Um, and Is that something that can sort of help put an end to you know, all this talk about we need coal to have a base load of energy?
6: Um, I think the future is already here. Uh, when we transition to the 100% renewables especially, so um, if you look at the history of the power system especially when we, have, when we started to have power system since the um, 80s, all these generators are with distributed resources with individual customer, mm. then what we, what we have done is we try to connect all these generators together. Try to make use of these generators because we believe that um, we try to make use of centralized generation because it's cheaper. And also we based on assumption that we're gonna have very very large power grids. Mm. Uh, we spent hundred years doing that, and. Uh, in Australia, we spent another 20 years trying to introduce the electricity market because we're trying to bring the, the cost down by introducing competitions. But in the last five to ten years, what we can see is we have the technology advancement, but we've gradually moved the customers off-grid because they have the PV panels, they have energy storage, residential one, or their vehicles, vehicles. So, we're reversing that trend. So personally, I think, yes, future is already here. Um, of course, we need innovations to make the change, but we, I think the most important is
1: the customers should change their behaviors. And that was Dr. K. Meng from the University of New South Wales's School of Electrical Engineering and Telecommunications. One of the other panellists from the University of New South Wales was Ned ekans from the Digital Grid Futures Institute. In his presentation, he talked about the different parameters that can increase power output. And here we're thinking about vehicle efficiency, we're talking about electrical efficiency, we're talking about PV efficiency, and the area in which you can cover with solar paint. And someone in the audience was keen to know what impact research into each of these issues will have when it comes to bringing vehicles to market in the future.
3: Okay, so of those three three areas, I mean, I think I'm probably qualified to speak to two of them. Uh, for vehicle efficiency, you know, the, um, maybe Richards Richards our man. But uh, so, I mean, the research in 3.5 photovoltaics, so this is a super high efficiency uh, technology. I mean, that's been developed and invested in mainly for powering spacecraft, as I mentioned. Mentioned in, in, in my talk. And I think one, one of the big opportunities is to find ways of making that cheaper. So it seems to me you can attack this problem from two ends. I suppose I'm advocating that we could start with high efficiency, try and preserve that efficiency, get manufacturing costs down. I think one of the things that Martin is proposing is to say actually we've got a lot of really good thin film materials where the efficiency is maybe quite low, but we could, you know, when I say low, it means 10, you know, 20%. But then, you know, can we find ways of boosting that? So actually, I think you, know, you can t- attack this problem from both ends. If you can imagine that chart that I had on the screen, you know, we've got those two islands of technology that are available today. And what we want to do is try and push them in both directions. So I suppose if your question is, is, if I'm in charge of a funding agency, and you know, what would I fund with unlimited funding, well, I'd say, OK, let's, let's fund both directions. Seems to me there's an opportunity, of course, to push you know, the efficiency of so-called thin film technologies up, because they've got the cost, but they you know, could be improved in efficiency and you could put, try and get the cost down in these existing high efficiency devices. I think we've heard of, about the area from Martin. I think that really is a nice opportunity and you know that's a, I, I would suggest that we get the cost out of these technologies, we get the performance up, and then we go for conformal coating technologies. That's, I suppose, just my opinion. But uh, I, you know, that would obviously be an area to push to. And I think one of the things that really woke me up when I was learning, because i mean, frankly about vehicle efficiency, I've spent 20 years of my life researching fo- fo- photovoltaics. But that's world record by Duke University of 1,000 kilometers, over 1,000 kilometers per kilowatt hour. I mean, that's an amazing result if we think about it. And it's, uh, I mean, you can go to their website, you can have a look at it. It's called ETA, but it's a sort of super aerodynamic luge that you lie down in. And, you know, obviously doesn't go at 100 kilometers an hour. But the mere fact that that's possible, I think, you know, can give us confidence that if we push hard enough at a problem, we'll find a way to crack it.
0: Thank you. Anyone else?
3: Thank you very much for a
7: very interesting talk. Uh, My name is uh, o I'm from AGG Energy, a PV solar module manufacturer who's focused on uh, vehicle integrated photovoltaics. And we're co-developing and uh, supplying PV modules for a couple of uh, world's major car manufacturers. Um, We have been talking to um, quite a few car manufacturers to hear from them, what do you think about uh, VIPV and PV. And one of the questions they always have, or challenges they always have is, they find it hard to find a selling points to their customers. So they can't, because one of the biggest issue is the intermittence of the generation of PV power. Um, they find it not quite easy to use the um, range extension, to solve the range uh, anxiety as a setting point because in a sunny day you may drive 30 kilometers, in a cloudy day you may not have that much. So, and, uh, therefore they couldn't use that as a setting point to reduce the size of the battery which they thought they would like to do that. Um, I was here, would like to hear your opinion, what do you think about it? How do you think, what's your scope of this intermediates issue? basically very um, unstable generation of energy.
0: So, so it's a question of, of how it's marketed to a customer and and also how, so, selling the actual benefit of having yeah, the PV on the roof. roof. Yeah, who, who can speak to that? Was that um, Tom? Yeah. would you take that one? I can
8: comment on it. So from what we've uh, observed in the data that we collected, definitely we have to distinguish between different cohorts of people. So this technology, PV, we were, in, the, in the presentation, I was only referring to PVEV, but possibly by the time we have PVEVs, maybe we will be also having autonomous vehicles. So then we are talking about a change in travel behavior of people. Maybe people don't mind sitting in their car, working, and at the same time their value of time may go down and because of all of these shifts happening we may first target a group of people who are highly educated their value of time is high at the same time they want they want to use their time while they're traveling and combination of these technologies i think at least for the start the beginning or the first group of people who might be very receptive to this technology I think we can identify them, target them, and then the next groups will come after possibly the different strategies market them.
0: And we'll also see an improvement in the tech, surely. So Bono, what do you see in the research that you're doing for Lightyear and, oh, you're not doing research for SONO, just Lightyear?
4: Uh, yeah, we're now working with SONO, uh, but the Dutch company Lightyear. Mm. Um, so we've talked about this a lot in the work we've been doing over the last few years, um, and. at the current uh, range extension, we'll say, um, this 30 kilometers, as you mentioned, really is, it's an annual average. It's not a day-to-day. It doesn't mean that you can do every one of your commutes, your 30-kilometer commutes, on solar every day. Um, So this is actually one of the reasons that we're working very hard on this energy flow model, um, that I shared some of the results on it. Um, As I mentioned, we've put it in the context of these charging moments because um, at least most of us as a on the, on the in the group think okay, this is a very easy thing to imagine. Okay, so maybe in winter you need to charge your car like normal, but at least in the summertime you can go three or four months without needing to charge. So um, it changes your paradigm of having to plan. But I know that one of the concepts behind this, both I think for, from what I've seen from the advertising from say Sono Motors as well as Lightyear, is a lot about this idea of freedom and preserving that paradigm of that your passenger car can give you freedom and that you don't have to rely on uh, the infrastructure. So you can imagine um, in many countries, there's not as many charging points. Well, for example, even here in Australia, there's not as many charging points as what we have in the Netherlands. And that means that adopting electric vehicles can be much more limited but as more and more countries are going to require that vehicles be zero emission and electric, um, there potentially will be a growing demand there for uh, vehicles that, are, um, that, that allow you this freedom and that you as, a, as an individual can make the choice to drive this car rather than having to depend on other people to give you the infrastructure to drive that vehicle. Um, it also potentially offers an advantage over fuel cell vehicles. But what I also know is from talking to large companies, there is this hill to get over, a barrier to get over, because most of the large car manufacturers, when they talk about numbers or manufacturing something new, they are talking about millions of cars a year, not hundreds of thousands even. And so uh, there is definitely a little, there's an adoption hill that we need to get over that I think Taha's uh, research speaks to that We'll have some early adopters, and we'll have reasons that people buy this technology um, and those may be different reasons than what we see when we're talking about the million cars a year um, but with the the uh, with a couple of the companies that are getting involved in this and the expectations they have from uh, from at least the, the venture capitalists and other people that are interested or even just the crowdfunding I think we are starting to see some evidence in the market that there's a desire for this and that people are really quite interested. Um, I think a million cars a year is probably a little further on the horizon, but maybe within uh, you know, a 10-year
0: time frame, we'll start to see that sort of volume, hopefully sooner. Thanks, Bonna. Have we got anyone else that'd like to ask a question?
8: Um, this question is to Professor Martin, and you talked about solar paint. So I'm just reading online that solar paint is um, actually works by absorbing moisture from the air and using solar energy to break down the water molecule, so hydrogen and oxygen. Am I right?
2: No, not, not, not uh, in this case. So there's probably some solar paint that can do that. But in this case, it's just a, a, a photovoltaic material. So it's. Solid state sealed from the atmosphere. You probably don't want water getting into the cells. So, um, you know, it'd just be um, uh, uh, a traditional solar cell, but there's some unusual design features. So, um, you really want the power coming out on the inside of the car bodywork. So, you have what's called a, uh, a metal wrap through type of contacting scheme where the top of the cell. Um, the contact to the top of the cell gets to the rear of the cell through holes within the cell and uh, so on so um, but it's just a traditional cell um, really but um, you you could you could apply the paint like we um, like uh, Professor Ho Bailey who uh, has been working on perovskites within our group has actually sprayed some of these perovskite materials to demonstrate the idea of a traditional sort of spray painting methodology for applying the paint but just a standard cell
0: thank you i think we've got someone over over this way as well thanks
9: Hi, Um, my name's Dave Jones. I'm from IBM. I have a question. I've been working with transport um, for a few years and we've seen some innovative transport solutions with ride sharing and community, uh, you know, uh, sharing services and that sort of thing. I'm just sort of reflecting on the efficiency of engines and, and, you know, the the, the truism is that the sort of the the diesel engine running all the time is much more efficient. um, with With a sort of a PV and EV kind of flavour on the vehicles. Is it more more efficient to run them consistently or is it sort of is it more efficient to kind of run them and then rest them and then run them and then rest them? I guess that's you know, because when you're looking at these community facilities, obviously you know you, you've got options to really um, service the communities, but they're going to be running all the time, you know, to to bring more efficiencies into the transportation system.
0: Is, is that something that comes through with the data work that you're doing Ned?
3: Okay, so yeah, really good question, and I think you know to map what you've just explained or described onto an electric vehicle. I mean, with a diesel engine, you're right, run it you know, consistently, and you'll get the highest highest efficiency. For an electric motor, that's not so much the case. But what you are, of course, sensitive to is the battery, and so you know avoiding large transients in the battery is going to help. And one of the one of the interesting opportunities is if you are aggressively ramming charge or energy into and out of batteries, you know, quickly. So, for example, uh, when you use one of Tesla's superchargers, it's quite terrifying the amount of power that's actually flowing into that vehicle. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've spent hours driving it, and then within about 40 minutes, charging at 100 kilowatts, boom, you're ready to go again. You know, that's remarkable, but that's also quite an aggressive, uh, you know, cycling of the battery. So, I think one of the interesting opportunities we have with photovoltaics on vehicles is a much gentler charging. You know, it needs to be that way because we're limited by, by the area, but it means that just whilst your cars, if anybody drove here today, assuming you parked in the sun, you know, your car would be slowly charging and then you might have enough juice to get back home again. So I think, you know, there's, there are issues like this, but in a slightly different context in terms of how we're treating the battery. And how we treat the battery, of course, has implications for uh, the longevity of the battery, ultimately, how long your car's going to last.
9: So would that, would that mean, then, that perhaps these are more suitable for that sort of private-use scenario rather than the public-use scenario? Or is, is there sort of aspirations to kind of look at the, the application of this technology in the public-use scenario I as well? I think, actually,
3: the public-use scenario is one where we can really sort of jumpstart Taha's Adoption curve, because you know, if, for example, Sydney buses just been <clears> announced <throat> that you know we're looking to tender for eighty thousand no, 8, buses, uh, you know that's an opportunity where we can say, okay, you know, in one fell swoop, is either has the te- technology or not. And so, when buses are being used, obviously they're consuming electricity, but on Sundays the bus depot's pretty full, and then you've got suddenly a lot of electrical storage, and you've got sort of PV farm, if I was to flip it perhaps slightly differently, if you look at Melbourne Airport, that's uh, got a long-term car park, got 5,000, capacity for 5,000 cars. If you say, okay, let's say it's 70% full, with PV EVs, what you have is a PV power plant that's over 4 megawatts and you've got a storage capacity that's marginally more than the Hornsdale Power Reserve in South Australia, so the big battery that Tesla built. And that's just an airport car park. Ona, would you like to yeah. follow up?
4: Um, I, you just sparked uh, a comment, and it's, it's somewhat anecdotal, but uh, of some work that we've done in the Netherlands as well. Um, and so uh, what this is is that actually with uh, internal combustion engines, especially diesel, which tend to power buses, um i was told once by a bus company that essentially with electric buses they expect to double the lifetime of the chassis of the vehicle because of the reduction in vibrations so while if you look at the overall lca of the vehicle then you can imagine and also the economics of it that you if you can have your bus last twice as long then having this uh, battery charging and having and having solar on the vehicles Um, can actually really help out in terms of the the cost model over the long term, both in terms of the lifetime of the chassis, but also in terms of the the LCA, the balance of the LCA. That's
0: good stuff. Yes, up here in the red. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Just a question. I'm not sure who would answer it. Um, When you do your modelling, do you put in air conditioning of the vehicle because it sat out in the sun? Is that modelled into what you calculate?
4: So, in the model that I shared, yes, it's something that we can add in. Um, we didn't in this, the results I just showed, but it's something that we can easily put in. Uh, a, we have a comfort function in there already for being able to deal with what sort of air conditioning model we want. And one of the things we'd really like to do actually after my visit here is that we'd really like to get the more of the Australian mode and model of driving, which would include, I think, the comfort function much more than in the Netherlands. <laughs> Um, and we'd like to really run that scenario and um, so we're hoping to do that uh, under the the um, umbrella of this IEA PVPS task
0: 17 that's really focused on these sort of benefits and modeling so and do you think that that's something that um, would would help change customer behavior you were talking before about how um, you know, people tend to park in the shade in Australia because we don't want to get in a searing hot car. So, and I know that Tesla cars, I think you can, and maybe some other models as well, you can turn the aircon on before you go to get in the car. Is something, that's something that you might think might be able to be used to encourage people to park in the sun and get the power, but then be able to use that function?
4: I think Taha might be able to address consumer behavior better than I can, (laughs) but I can say that um, one of the issues of a solar car sitting in the sun um, is that once the battery is charged, of course, you have to figure out what to do with the power that's still being generated by the module on the roof Um, Mm -hmm. because you can't just keep charging the battery. So uh, if you're not plugged into the grid, then you need to do something else with that power. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the concepts is to do some sort of active cooling inside the car because they would correlate quite well. Um, But uh, did you look at that at all with your survey?
8: We added that into the description that we had at the beginning of the survey, introducing what can be done and what are the obstacles uh, using this technology. We introduced it and we also discussed it when people uh, people were seeing some photos, a description about how it operates, how long they should keep it in the sun, if it's shady, what happens. But we
1: have not measured it. That was Associate Professor Tahar Rashidi, the Deputy Director of the Research Centre for Integrated Transport Innovation. The next question from the audience was again to Ned Ekenstorps from the Digital Grid Futures Institute, and it came from someone who wanted to know how far away is the prospect of people buying PV EVs, and who are the most likely first customers in this transition? I'll have a go at answering
3: that, and I think, I mean, Bonner's actually, you know, as you saw from Bonner's talk, you know, she's really building the roofs that are going on vehicles. Uh, You know, I think uh, there's obviously things we can do with PV today, and so when I said we could get twenty kilometers a day, that's what we can literally do today with the technology that, that Bonner showed you. Uh, if we increase the efficiency, then, you know, technically we can double that that efficiency, but you know, as you saw, the cost explodes. So then, how quickly can we get the cost out? That's evidently a technical question, but it's also a market question. And I think you know, one of the things that has encouraged me is that previously there's been such a large gap between the costs that space the space industry tolerate and what we've always needed for any form of terrestrial generation that you worry how you're going to bridge that now you know the PVEV is a nice intermediate it doesn't need the same so sort of huge cost reduction but more I think more importantly for me is the fact that now there is a bridging market which is these high altitude aircraft because, you know, a lot of companies are talking about uh, sort of Internet everywhere. So, you know, Facebook is, Google is, there's uh, Elon Musk is is into this with SpaceX. They're going to have some sort of Internet every, 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 everywhere. There's another company called OneWeb. And some of these ideas are to put a cluster, a constellation of satellites up there. That of course drives the cost of the space industry a bit, but I think what I'm most excited about is these high altitude aircraft, because that's something which you can see being manufactured in much larger volumes. It then helps the manufacturers expand, and as soon as we start doing that, we know what, we've seen it, we've seen it with crystalline silicon photovoltaics, we're seeing it now with battery technology. Once you get a market, you can really push those costs down. It's simply the learning curve, but you do need a market that you can sell into. So, you know, from the kind of top-down approach, I think there's a real opportunity there. For bottom-up, coming from the lower efficiency, you know, there's a lot of research being funded right now in terms of trying to improve the efficiency of conventional photovoltaics. So, you know, silicon tandem technology being a very good example.
0: And then in terms of um, solar PV vehicles actually coming to market, the the incredible funding that um, Lightyear got through Uh, crowdfunding. It was SONO. so so, that was SONO. Yeah. Um, I mean, that shows that there's incredible interest there. Uh, Have you got anything else? Um, Yeah, actually,
4: so Lightyear, I know as well, has announced uh, that one of their first customers in the Netherlands is actually working with a lease plan company. So um, this is actually one of the ways that Tesla has also uh, pushed their their numbers globally and especially in the Netherlands by joining, by working with lease plan um, fleets as well as taxi fleets. Um, And so I think this idea of with the the lease plan is that uh, they are interested in using these in the light year vehicle in order to offer kind of a very high end and very um, uh, efficient green vehicle to um, companies that are really about promoting that to start with. So um, I see those as being one of those early adopters as well. You might also see something when it comes to autonomous vehicles coming about um, or shared car uh, concepts of Uber, for example, and and other things and so, or Go Get that you have here for your shared card. Mm -hmm. So there are, I think there's a lot of talk going on there. I'm not privy to all of those details, but um, I do, I think especially what you said, this uh, example with Sono Motors and the crowdfunding shows that we're, there's people out there that are quite ready for this technology.
1: And that was Dr. Bonner Newman, the Programme Manager of PV in Mobility at the Petieno Energy Transition in the Netherlands. And that's a wrap for The Driven this week. You've been listening to a discussion chaired by Bridie Smith in the Making Solar Powered Transporter Reality Conference, hosted by the Digital Grid Futures Institute at the University of New South Wales. Brady was talking to Professor Martin Green, Associate Professor Ned Eakin-Storks, Professor Richard Hopkins, Associate Professor Taha Rashidi, Dr. K Meng, and Dr. Bonnie Newman. Thanks very much for listening, and thanks again to our sponsor Solar Edge. And we'll be back with another podcast in a week or two. Bye for now.
0: The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Solar Edge. SolarEdge EV chargers combine solar energy and grid power to charge your electric vehicle up to four times faster than a standard wall charger. Whether you own an EV now or want to be EV ready, future-proof your home with SolarEdge. Visit solaredge.com slash AUS and drive your solar further.